What's up, everyone? Really excited to have you guys here. We have a really fun show planned with you guys. So not only are we going to talk about how to simplify your finances, we've got a digestible tip, we got a quick community update, and we have a new segment that I'm running now called Financial Malpractice. Can't wait for you to listen to it. Simplifying your finances sounds like it should be really easy, doesn't it? You know, money comes in, money goes out. What's so hard about that? Yet, if you struggle to balance your budget, or if you feel like you work really hard and somehow never have enough money, know that you're not alone. In today's world with computers and phones and apps and all these things developed with the intention of making life easier, somehow they've seemed to add clutter. And not only do we now have virtual clutter, in addition to those actual things lying around in our personal space, it's become even easier to get bogged down by the details and just buried in all the options that we have available to us throughout our lives. All of this, though, makes the achievement of our ideal life just a bit harder. So let's reverse that a bit. Welcome to your financial residency. Of course, without the long hours and sleepless nights. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Inman, and welcome back to the show. Really excited to have you guys here. And if this is your first time listening to the show, because new decade, new you, please make sure you click subscribe. And we release shows every Monday and Friday, and I welcome all of you. We're almost a full month into our new year or new decade, and I really hope you've all taken some action to better your financial lives. If you listened to last Monday's show about how hope is not a strategy, then please ignore that I just used the word hope. But in reality, if you haven't taken action on implementing something that increases your financial acumen or net worth, why haven't you done that? Please don't be listening here next January, hoping that 2021 will be different. So let's make the commitment together to each other that you're going to take action now and not wait any longer. So there's some really great follow-up conversations that happened after the show a couple weeks ago I put out about getting organized. And the biggest question was around how to actually simplify your finances. Many of you quickly realized that, especially the ones in our financial fellowship program, that as you were getting organized, it turned out to be a lot of work. And if you have a ton of accounts and a lot of moving pieces, it was actually kind of difficult to keep going. And it's completely true. The more stuff you've accumulated, the longer it's going to take to organize and purge and clean everything up. And the same thing holds true for your finances. So I wanted to highlight a few ways that you can start to simplify your finances. Now, not all of these are going to be applicable to you, but based on working with hundreds of physicians, these are the tips that I can give that are going to impact the majority of you listening. Now, these tips aren't meant to help you become the next Warren Buffett. They're really meant to help you live out the best version of you with every dollar that you earn. Like I talked about in the Getting Organized show, if you actually took an inventory of all your finances, and I called it a mind map, if you haven't, please go check out that show. I reference it a few times here. But also, if you don't know what a mind map is, it's just a visual way of representing data. And you can go type into Google Mind Map and see what I'm talking about, but it kind of looks like a spider web. And if you actually took an inventory and did all of that, you probably realize that you have a ton of accounts. Now, some of you, that might be banking. You might have three different banks and several accounts inside of each bank, checkings and savings, maybe even CDs. Some of you, 
you're fine on banking. You've listened to the show long enough to know kind of how we view banking. But some of you might have investments that are all over the place. And that's okay, right? But we want to start eliminating them. So with the mind map that should have kind of pointed out the biggest glaring things in your face, it should have pointed out, hey, oh my gosh, I've got you know three banks and all these accounts. I probably need to start consolidating them because if I go look for all the different account statements, it's going to take me forever to go get multiple years of history and download everything per account. Same thing with investments. You might find that you forgot about certain accounts and the mind map might have helped you realize that. And then it might be time to either roll them over or roll them into your current plan, just consolidate it if you had multiple, let's say, traditional IRAs, all into one custodian, preferably. But I could also understand having two if you were employed and it's a custodian that you normally wouldn't use. The next quickest thing that you can do to start simplifying is to figure out where the heck your money is going. And for those of you who have listened to the show long enough, you're nodding your head because you know what's coming. I'm talking about the dreaded B word, budgeting. But hear me out before you tune this out or press fast forward. If you can see where everything is going, if you actually go through and put together a cash flow plan, you might be able to find certain things, expenses, subscriptions that you might have forgotten about or that you thought you canceled and never did. Or it's been sitting there going, hmm, I've meant to cancel that for a long time now. And you might even recognize that there's some bills there that you might be able to negotiate. So if you think about it, you're almost getting paid to budget. Because if you save money, essentially, it's money right back to you can go do more fun things. So just like you're eliminating accounts, eliminate the extra expenses that you don't really care much about. So if you've got Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus and all the other streaming stuff that's out there now, do you really need all that? Do you need to have HBO and Showtime at the same time? Probably not. You know, honestly, we do this audit every year and we realize that we had Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon, and I don't even really watch TV. And I thought Taylor was actually using Hulu and it turns out that she had stopped using it a while back and it was kind of just there. And it was something that I knew we had. It was an expense that always kind of came in, but no one was really benefiting anymore. And without me doing kind of a deep dive on the cash flow and then asking questions at our money date, found out that Hulu wasn't a big deal. And yeah, it's seven bucks, but still $7 would have been wasted on something that we didn't really care about. I'm sure I could do $7 worth of something fun or maybe add it up over a couple months and do something $25 worth, that'll be way more fun than just getting it wasted by going to Hulu. Now, you could also eliminate some expenses or reduce some bills by calling up your insurance company. If you've got home, auto, and umbrella, and they're not bundled together, one, you're doing it wrong. You should have that together. But if you haven't quoted it out in three, four, five years, go quote it out. You might save a couple hundred dollars, and that might just be a couple hundred dollars for an hour's worth of time. You might find other expenses you can cut. And I definitely think that some of you out there have been like, ah, you know, there's that one expense that keeps recurring. You keep seeing it and you're like, I know I need to do that, just not today or not right now. Well, stop putting it off, just do it. So with the whole concept of new year, new you, some of you got probably really aggressive on goals and probably wrote a thousand goals down. And that's not gonna help you simplify anything 
And it's probably going to help you go crazy really, really quickly. So I could understand that you're excited, that you want to implement a lot of things. But if you try to do all those things at once, it's probably going to end up backfiring. You're going to be emotionally drained, that you can't complete them all. And worse, you might end up just quitting because it's a lot and it's overwhelming. So please don't do that. The next thing I'd like to talk about is is automation. And I want you to automate absolutely as much as you can. This would be things like paying your bills. You know, everything should be paid online if it's possible. It's easier to track for budgeting purposes. There's the dreaded B word again. But automating as much as you can is really, really, really helpful. So you can automate not only paying your bills, but you can automate things like savings and you can automate things like investing. So when money comes in, if you're paying yourself first, whatever that percentage is, we try to target 25% of your take-home pay, but let's say you're at 10% of take-home pay, no problem. Automate that savings somewhere. Is that going to build up your emergency fund? Is that going to pay down certain debts that you can just change your auto payment to just to have a higher monthly payment amount? Or is it something where you can now turn around and go, hmm, I've done all the right things, now it's time to invest. We'll set up an automated transfer to your investment account, whether it's your IRA or your taxable account. Get that automation going. It's really, really helpful if you don't have to think about things. So I'm a huge fan of automation. I know some people aren't. I'm a huge fan of it. I love it. It saves time and makes you actually get things done. Hey, it's Whitney from the Money Nerds podcast. I was the previous guest of this show, and I'd love to invite you to listen to the episode Ryan and I collaborated on. He came on the Money Nerds and talked about tips for high-income earners and how to navigate a career path that's not really traditional. You can find his episode by searching themoneynerds.com slash Ryan Inman. All right, now let's get back to learning how to simplify our finances. So the next piece I'd like to talk on about simplifying your finances is all around credit cards, right? The game of the credit cards and playing it. You know, I want you, one, to treat it like cash. So if you have credit card debt, please make sure that you can get out of debt. Don't be spending future earnings on stuff that you would be buying today and you're going to end up paying a lot of interest on it. It's just not a financially smart decision. Now, credit cards are pretty much unavoidable in today's financial climate, right? Just go try booking an airplane ticket without one. Kind of frustrating. Now, they can lead to trouble if you're not careful, but there are pros to having credit cards, right? It allows you to buy things easily. It allows you to buy those things online, helps you build out some credit history, contributes to your FICO score, and you can earn points and rebates and all sorts of fun stuff. There's lots of perks, insurance perks that come with them. Now, the cons of credit cards are you can end up in debt quite quickly and spending money on credit is really, really easy. And the next thing is you might owe a lot of money on things that you shouldn't have borrowed money to buy, such as new shoes or multiple dinners out. And did I mention debt? It can cause you to go into debt if you're not careful. Now, some credit card debt is unavoidable. If you're a resident, you're traveling for interviews, it wasn't a lifestyle thing and it was just a instance where you needed to actually go and travel to interview, that makes perfect sense. But if you're living a lavish lifestyle and you still have credit card debt or even personal loans, you got to be a little bit more realistic with what you're spending and how it looks. So with credit cards, the whole game of signing up for rewards and being able to sign up for a ton of different cards and to then manage those cards and which ones have annual fees and 
all the stuff that goes with it. Of course, they're all at different institutions. And I'll be completely honest, I like the credit card game because I'm a weirdo and think finance is fun. Most people are not in tune with their finances enough to really keep track of all of this. If I had 10 different credit cards, even I would probably go crazy trying to figure out what is due, what institutions are at, the username and passwords of everything, the annual fees, when to cancel it, when not to cancel it, what cards to use when you're spending. I mean, you almost need to like print out a note sheet and laminate it and stick it in your wallet for, oh, I'm at the grocery store, use this card. If that's you and you can actually manage all that correctly, good for you. Awesome. Most of you listening are not that person and that's okay. And I'm not that person to an extent of probably more than like four credit cards. So if you're trying to play the game, don't go crazy and get 10 different cards and try to stack everything together. It's one, probably not worth your time, but two, you're probably going to fail at it and get hit with some type of fee, whether it's an annual fee or you forget to make a payment. So as you're looking at credit cards and you're trying to simplify everything, get it down to one or two cards and treat it like cash. Remember that interest rates on credit cards are exceptionally high and can put you in that never ending cycle of just making minimum payments and not crawling out from under the debt. Credit cards are at once your friend and not your friend at the same time. They're like Schrodinger's cat of personal finance. Just be careful when it comes to credit cards. Once it's all done, I want you to guys start writing down some of the tasks that you complete for your finances. Now, this might seem a little tedious or it might seem excessive, but hear me out for a second. If you start to create habits around completing those tasks, you will be more financially successful. And over time, you won't have to go and look at the set of the process that you've now written down in order to complete those things. You'll build it by habit, it'll be in memory, and you'll be faster and things will be more simplistic. So determine the optimal time to complete those tasks as you figure out what those tasks actually are. So example would be opening up snail mail, right? We go through snail mail every day, but I don't do anything with it except for once a week, I review what's in our little bin, open it up. If I need to pay a bill for some reason that is they come via paper and not electronic, I will do so. I need to scan something if it's an important document, could be copies of mortgage statements because the bank that we have doesn't send out electronic statements. Anything, I do it once a week. I usually do it on Friday mornings. It's just the time that's easiest for me and the optimal time. And I have a little checklist of things that I run through either daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, or annually. Now, I know what these are. I've built a Google Calendar around them so I don't have a paper physically written down. But since this is probably your first time actually putting some effort into this and some thought process around it, I would highly recommend to write this stuff down so you have something to reference. And then over time, as you build the habit, you won't need to actually reference it. And the last thing that I want to talk about is just real briefly is filtering out the noise. And what I mean by this is every place that you can get financial information is not always a good trusted source. I'm happy you're here listening. But just like I always say in my disclaimer, take these as tips. This is not financial planning advice specific to you. But I know this because I'm a financial planner. Most of the bloggers or podcasters out there, they don't have to give those disclaimers. Some of them do, most of them don't. And so they're telling you 
what they might do or what they might think, but you never know what's behind that. Was it a sponsored post? What, what kind of content was this? Was it to get you to take action to buy something? Or was this just truly good information for you to read and understand? So I want you to think about where you're getting your content from, how you're understanding personal finance. Who are those people that are maybe the few selected trusted associates, if you will, that you talk about money with? But outside of that, filter and be skeptical of where you get your information. And don't just sign up for things because you read it online. That will cause your finances probably just to blow up and it's usually not a good situation in that. But for simplicity, make sure that things that you're subscribed to, right? If you look at your emails and you're getting a whole bunch of emails from a bunch of different companies, that's probably not going to help simplify things. So unsubscribe to those things. Just filter out the noise and make sure that you're heading down the financial path that is going to make you the happiest. All right, as we transition over to the financial malpractice segment, I am fortunate enough to have the amazing Nana Corsa from mdworklifebalance.com here. Nana, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Yeah, this is going to be super fun. So we are going to be dissecting a video from the big man himself, Dave Ramsey. And I know you're a Dave Ramsey fan, so this will be a little shocking maybe for you as we go through it. But for those that don't end up watching the clip, I'll give you a little bit of background. So a physician named Roderick from Pittsburgh calls in and asks for advice on his and his spouse's $670,000 debt load. He's a family medicine resident married to a psychiatry resident. And he says, hey, our household income is $108,000. We're going to graduate shortly and we're going to make about $400,000 household income. And Dave basically questions his ability to not only make money in terms of his income, but says quite a few things that don't really make sense. He calls it a mess. He, he says essentially that you need to live like your college students until this is gone. I don't care what your income is. And to quote Dave... He said, live on nothing and then pay everything above nothing towards this disaster. And goes on to say, if you're making more than 400000 a year, you will not need an emergency fund. And then follows it up with, at the very end, eek, don't want you operating on me, even though they are family med and a psychiatrist. So, Nana, what are your initial thoughts on this amazing clip from Dave Ramsey? My initial thought was... I, I love Dave and I love what he does. However, he's coming from a whole perspective that doesn't fully understand this physician that called in. For a lot of us, we don't have college funds. And, and so if you want to be a physician, then sometimes you have to take the student loans. Now, their debt is pretty high, though. 670 is high, but for the average physician, I think 250K is what the average student loan is. It's not too far off. And regarding it being a disaster, it depends on how you choose to look at it. I used to look at debt as, as a disaster too, but in the end, it caused me more stress than joy. So I, although I love Dave dearly, I have decided to do things a little bit differently. Instead of just having a hate relationship with debt, actually have a love relationship with it and say, hey, 
you know, it is what it is. Sometimes it's a necessary evil. If you want to become a physician, not everybody can afford that kind of money for their tuition. And if you have it, it doesn't have to be a disaster. All you need to do is to have a plan and take care of it. No need to panic. Panic creates stress, anxiety, and depression about debt. Instead, have a plan and pay it off. And also, like I used to be of that same school of thought, but I've, I've learned a lot since then. And so is it approaching it that way? A lot of people in the early retirement community found out that after they retired early, one thing they wish they did was actually live life instead of being obsessed with debt. And so, and I've paid up my student loan debt too. And I think looking back, I wish I had enjoyed life a little bit more. So I'll say, if you have that kind of debt, it's not a disaster. No need to hit the panic button. <laughs> Be rational about it. And also learn to live your life while you pay off the debt. We only have one life to live. So have a plan. Like Ryan teaches, have a plan that addresses all areas of your life. There's no need to be panicked and just get so gun hold that you don't enjoy your life. Instead, have a plan to pay off the debt and also enjoy your life. And you can have such a thing as a fund fund or whatever you need to be so you can spend without guilt and still pay off your debt. So regarding the income ability of the physician who called in and his wife, yeah, you could make 200 as a, a family practice doc. A lot of family practice docs these days are hospitalists and that is a, the ballpark of what people make. So there's hope if you're a family practice doc and you listen to this, don't you worry, you can make 200K if that's what you want. That dream job, it's out there and that dream income is out there. You just have to go find it. And another thing that I thought differently about was live on nothing till you, you pay it off. You don't have to live on nothing. I've been there, done that. By doing that, you're going to rebel and eventually <laughs> end up overspending again. So be pragmatic about it and like it's have fun. So you don't end up rebelling and doing something crazy when it comes to your finances. So in conclusion, I love Dave Ramsey. I like to pay off debt. However, <laughs> it doesn't have to be a, a hate relationship. <laughs> you can have a much different relationship with money and have a life design, financial design that will work for you that doesn't cause panic and cause you to take jobs that are way below what you could earn and just go for it. So that's what I have to share on that. Yeah, I, I love it. And the part that I'll add into this is, you know, he totally ignored potentially public service loan forgiveness for either spouse. And so that is an option. It's not going away. So if you are in PSLF, this doesn't mean that, you know, oh, this is going away. You need to refinance. None of that. But if let's say they are going into private practice for sure. And we're looking at, I look at student debt as a business loan, right? The business just happens to be in your head. And I think businesses, you know, a profitable business and then, you know, should have a great valuation is probably around like two and a half to maybe four and a half times its forward earnings or projected earnings. And so as we look at, let's take Roderick for an example and just cut it in half. He's going to make 200 and out of that 670,000, 335,000 is his allocated debt. If we valued his income at 
now we take his take home pay, I should say. So let's call it 120,000, you know, for, for the year, it would be perfectly normal to pay between 300 and 400 or 500,000 for that income potential. And so I don't think this is a mess. I think it's in a normal, healthy range of what you would pay for a business. And if I look at just all of our clients across the board with hundreds of physicians, the average is $298,000. So just under 300,000. So it's well within the normal range. And I don't think that this is a panic situation. I think you definitely need to have a plan. But I think the information, first, he was kind of rude in this where he was was just making it. Maybe it's the theatrics of his show and all that. But this is someone's life. And that that rubs me the wrong way anyway when you make this a big show. But you need an emergency fund. I don't care if you make a million dollars a year. You need some cash in reserve. So you can't live on nothing and then pay everything else. That's a horrible lifestyle to have. But you also need to have an emergency fund. It doesn't mean it has to be fully built while you're going through this debt pay down and transition. But you need something because if you don't have it, something happens, you're going to put on a credit card and that's 20% plus interest. So Dave, thanks for the clip to destroy and walk into. This is definitely a case for financial malpractice if you were to take what Dave said is the gospel. Nana, thank you so much for being on the show. They can find you at mdworklifebalance.com. And I appreciate you being here. Yes. Thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. And now it's time for this week's digestible tip. Let's face it, being a resident is hardly glamorous work. And your paycheck probably reflects that same attitude as well. Even if you're out of residency and well into your medical career, you may find that money is still tight. So what are some of the things you can do to help stretch your budget a little bit further? First, evaluate your student loans and see if you have any federal loans eligible for an income-driven repayment plan or for even public service loan forgiveness, or PSLF. You could potentially lower your monthly obligations by selecting the correct repayment plan. The repayment plan for federal loans are also based on current salary, family size, and location. So when you're going through residency, it's a good time to take advantage of finding out what is the correct repayment plan for you. Secondly, take a hard look at your vehicle situation. Is there a possibility of selling your current vehicle for something that's a lot less expensive or just eliminating the car altogether? Lastly, don't waste money by eating convenience foods or fast food. If you stock up on groceries correctly, then you can prep your meals ahead of time and save on eating out. Remember, everything in life is a season. And the time you spend as a resident is a very short one. All right, so it's time for our quick community update. But this really isn't much of a community update as it is. I'm reaching out to all of you for some feedback. I produce a lot of content because I love helping educate all of you in personal finance. It's a huge part of my ideal life. And I'm so thrilled, honestly, to be living it. But I'm curious. Other than this podcast, how else do you consume financial information? Is it on YouTube? Is it blogs? Is it books? How are you getting that other financial information to help you make great financial decisions? In the description of the show, there's going to be a link. And just please do me a favor. It's a huge favor. But just answer the few questions there. I want to make sure that I provide the best information I can in a way that you ultimately want to receive it. If you aren't getting my emails, unfortunate for you because you're missing out on some pretty bad dad jokes, 
but also some really relevant information to help you succeed with your finances. And that's the end goal here, to help you succeed. I want to be part of your success. So tell me how I can help further you in your financial journey. Now, before we end, it's time for that important disclaimer. You got through another show and you didn't know how much that means to me. I'm really, really appreciative that you're here. And while you've been listening, I hope you've gained the motivation you need to challenge your finances head on like a collision. Uh, Okay, never mind. That's a really bad joke. But I want you to get motivated to do something, anything better than what you've been doing with your money. And the only way to do that, though, is by listening each week for tips and know that it's not black and white advice. I can't give you any specifics through the show. It really just can't happen. So please reach out to your attorney, your CPA, or reach out to us, fee-only financial planners. Have a great week, everyone, and I will see you all on Friday. Cheers. Cheers.